They did this to you. They're trying to turn us against each other. Just look at them. What do they know about friendship anyway? I'll get them. You watch. I'll take care of those sons of bitches. Watch it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh, good Lord. It's... It's unbelievable. It's... It's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound respect... Getting very careless. Blood in your hair. What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? Pretty for me. I can't believe you're not afraid. All you have to do is piss on it. Could he care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Evil. Gone, my leg. Gone, my leg. of God. You're doomed if you stay here. Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned. All of it. My son was a son of a bitch, and he was no good. That's it. My son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. Oh, Cindy. Oh, Cindy. You're gonna die. Mater Lacrimarum. Ma'am. Mater Tenebrum. He didn't find any boy. Mater Suspiriorum. You know as well as I do. Takes all kinds of critters to make farmer Vincent fritters. <laughs> I wonder who the real cannibals are. Before we start, I'd like to let everyone know these films are from 1980 according to Internet Movie Database. Each film in the top 25 was listed as a horror film on Letterboxd, Internet Movie Database, or both. I do understand that dates listed on Internet Movie Database aren't always wide release dates, but due to the number of films watched 
is the best way to go about it for this year and future ones. Also, please remember these are my opinions. This doesn't mean that I think all the films in my top list are the best made or necessarily historically important. Although I am sure some of them are one or both of those things. These films are just my favorites overall. When the 70s ended, it bled right into the 80s, bringing in its grindhouse mentality. Animal cruelty was abundant, as was rape, revenge, violence, cannibalism, and nihilism. This trajectory gave us a year filled with numerous cult favorites, stone-cold classics, slashers, killer animals, cannibals, sleaze, cheese, classic car tropes, and regional charm. Besides these contributing factors, the shadows of Alien, Dawn of the Dead, Zombie, and even Disco were cast on 1980. What's the problem there, Gloria? And they were cast wide. Nineteen eighty saw the deaths of two legends in genre filmmaking, Alfred Hitchcock language of living images and Mario Bava. But it also saw the horror directorial debut of the latter's son, Lamberto Bava, and many more, including Raphael Delpard, William Lustig, and cult actor David Hess. With saying goodbyes to Bava and Hitchcock, we also say goodbye to Hammer Horror, with their last tour outfit for many decades, with the Hammer House of Horror. Classic Hammer directors Peter Sazdy, Don Sharp, and Alan Gitson contributed. Besides regional filmmakers, including Don Dohler, Bill Rebane, Fred Owen Ray, and Nathan Skiff, it seemed nearly that every country on the globe was contributing to the horror scene in serious ways. Many of these films were co-productions between many countries. Hong Kong contributed the likes of Choi Hark, Sammo Hong, and Mo Tan Fei, making films that were on the fun side and on the rather disturbing side. Spain, with prolific directors Jess Franco, Paul Nashi, Jose Ramon Larraz, Eugenio Martin. Japan, Seijan Suzuki and Toshiharu Aikeda. France with John Roland and the aforementioned Raphael Depart. Canada, William Fruit and Paul Lynch. And many more countries contributed. By far the biggest contributor to the genre besides maybe the United States was the land of the maestros, Italy. The output was enormous and influential. Although the master of Italian horror died this year, it didn't stop the likes of Argento, Fulci, Diodato, Lenzi, Diamato, Cazzi, Bruno Mattei, Lamberto Bava, Antonio Margheriti, and Aldo Lado. Many of these directors having more than one genre film, including Fulci, Diodato, Lenzi, and Diamato. When we focus our attention to the United States, we see many classic genre directors working. Carpenter, De Palma, William Friedkin, Ken Russell, Louis Teague, and even the likes of Kubrick and John Huston taking a shot on the genre. A momentary loss of muscular coordination. Low-budget studios and independents also tackled the genre. Don Emmons, Graydon Clark, Joe Zito, William Malone, Roger Watkins, and Danny Steinman had their films. As did studios such as Troma and Canon. As far as the larger studios, even Disney took a stab at the horror film. With all these contributions, the genre was healthy and the subgenres plentiful.
One of the biggest mainstays of the horror genre are ghosts and hauntings. And here we have three of the very best, The Changeling, The Shining, and The Fog. Another huge staple is the slasher film, which pushed the genre to the next level with the iconic and franchise starting Friday the 13th. Clearly influenced by the likes of Bay of Blood and Halloween, it seemed to be the one that really got things in motion. Although the next year in the 80s would bring on many more slashers, 1980 had a fair amount itself. Prom Night, Terror Train, The Unseen, To All Good Night, He Knows You're Alone, Schizoid, Nightmares, New Year's Evil, Tear on Tour, and many more that seemed to walk the line. Don't Answer the Phone, Blood Rage, Mother's Day, Anthropophagus, Fade to Black, and Maniac. Italy and the United States were no strangers to ripoffs. And with the popularity of these aforementioned films, we got numerous zombie, cannibal, and alien-inspired films. As mentioned, Dawn of the Dead and Zombie pushed forth a slew of zombie and infected films and helped carry forward the cannibal film as well. After Cannibal Holocaust came out, it seemed that the genre had a bloodlust that couldn't be fulfilled. This is a short list of films from 1980 that follow the idea of zombies, infected, or cannibalism. Cannibal Holocaust, Motel Hell, Alien Dead, Toxic Zombies, The Children, Zombie Holocaust, Nightmare City, We're Going to Eat You, City of the Living Dead, Night of Death, Cannibal Terror, Devil Hunter, Cannibal Apocalypse, Hell's Living Dead, Long Island Cannibal Massacre, Anthropophagus, Eaten Alive, Erotic Nights of the Living Dead, Primitives, and White Cannibal Queen. As far as Alien-inspired films, we have a fair share as well. Alien 2, Contamination, and a slew of subterranean horror, which is directly inspired by Ridley Scott's film. Cannibal Apocalypse, Scared to Death, and Alligator all have huge set pieces with the sewer systems. Tim Lucas mentions as much in his commentary for Cannibal Apocalypse. A few one-offs are most certainly worth mentioning, as well as including the absolutely bonkers Bigfoot attack film, Night of the Demon, and the amazing creature features, Humanoids from the Deep, and the aforementioned Alligator. There also is a couple other animal attacks movies, including Island Claws. There are two renditions of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, including the BBC version and a parody entitled Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde wasn't the only classic monster to show his face in 1980. There were takes on the mummy genre with The Awakening and The Curse of King Tut's Tomb, as well as many vampire films, such as the animated Tomb of Dracula, and even a loosely inspired Frankenstein take with Robert Vaughn entitled Dr. Franken directed by Jeff Lieberman, of all people. And there was an even looser Frankenstein adaptation, one with Jason Miller, entitled The Henderson Monster. Rape revenge is a genre that some don't consider horror, but during the 80s, many of which would fall into the genre, and at the very least be considered horror adjacent. The biggest from 1980 is Ruggiero Diodato's House on the Edge of the Park, where David Hess plays another sociopathic rapist named Alex. A couple more standouts would be The Beast, a brutal Hong Kong film where the villains seem to take after the animals they share their world with, and Lost Souls, which plays more as a survival film, but certainly has its fair share of rape and revenge in it. There are also many more films that use rape as a plot point, or to exploit, such as Zoom In, Sex Apartments, Scream for Vengeance, Savage Encounter, Demented, Wolf Lake, Escape from Hell, and Terror Express. This sort of brings us into a category from 1980 where a handful of films are considered horror by some, and others not, such as Cruisin' and Dress to Kill, which share similarities with the slasher genre, but also the Jello and police procedural. While a few blend into the science fiction world as Altered States and Saturn 3, 
All these films to myself could, could be debated while others I find lead more towards the straight up exploitation genre. These films are just as brutal or out of the mainstream as some of the horror films mentioned, and it's unlikely any everyday film goer would revisit. But any seasoned horror fan most likely would see themselves coming back for more. These films to me include The Exterminator, The Last Hunter, Forbidden Zone, Contraband, The Ninth Configuration, Shogun Assassin, and Dangerous Encounters of the First Kind. All this violence and carnage didn't go unnoticed, and many of these films ended up on the Brit band video nasty list, 12 of which ended up on the section one and two. Anthropophagus, The Boogeyman, Cannibal Apocalypse, Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Terror, Contamination, Devil Hunter, Toxic Zombies, House on the Edge of the Park, Inferno, Night of the Demon, and Hell of the Living Dead. Before we get into my top 25 films in 1980, I wanted to give a list of my top six non-horror exploitation or horror-adjacent films to spotlight some gems, some of which you may not have seen. Six, Contraband. The only stab maestro Lucio Fulci took at the Euro crime genre is a violent one, sporting a cast of familiar faces of the genre and some incredibly well-put-together action scenes. Contraband sits as one of Fulci's best non-horror films. It only makes sense the show-stopping Fulci, who usually made scenes that made the audience cringe and squirm in their seat, made only one of these. Being towards the tail end of the Euro crime genre, it works as a great send-off. Five, The Last Hunter. Antonio Margheriti directs this Vietnam exploitation flick, starring genre actors David Warbeck, Tony King, Bobby Rhodes, and John Steiner. Riddled with gore and mean spiritness, a great companion piece with his horror film from this year, Cannibal Apocalypse. There's more than a few similarities to The Deer Hunter. Number four, The Exterminator. A revenge outing about Vietnam vet who goes out and avenges his friend against criminals. Doesn't stop quite there, and soon enough he is going after pedophiles and politicians. Incredibly violent and massively entertaining with the talents of Robert Ginty, Steve James, and Christopher George, who also appears in this year's City of the Living Dead. Number three, The Ninth Configuration. Sporting an amazing ensemble cast, which is led by Seiji Keach, this bizarre film about religion and mental illness sure packs a punch. It's a thinking man's religious play, directed by the writer of The Exorcist, William Peter Blatty. It's funny, dark, and incredibly touching. Number two, Shogun Assassin. Taking the first two lone wolf and cub movies and editing all the gory action pieces together and adding a new score made for one of the most fast-paced, entertaining flicks of the year. Riddled with endlessly cool fight scenes and villains, it's hard to not be taken by it. Number one, dangerous encounters of the first kind.
One of two films this year directed by Choi Hart. We have top tier bleakness from this year. A group of outcasts get involved with a girl with a lot of mental issues who pushes the group to carry out terrorist attacks. Soon enough, the group draw the attention of criminals and have to fight for survival. A film that really resonates today with all the active shooters and unchecked mental illnesses. One of the most disturbing scenes involves a cat who is skewered on a barbed wire fence, and the fact that it's just foreshadowing of the character who is responsible for the act of the mangled cat makes it all the more disturbing. Notable snubs. Prom Night. Although I've grown to enjoy Prom Night due to its solid cast and amazing disco dance sequence, what really has always held me back from completely loving this film is somewhat the pace. It's a bit slow in parts and the sequel out does it in the entertainment department. New Year's Evil. Although a good gimmick, this movie really is pretty much a snooze fest. It's great seeing some cool punk rockers. It never really comes together like it should. This film really is lucky it's one of the only New Year's horror films around or its popularity wouldn't be where it is at. Death Ship. Sporting a solid cast, Death Ship is a perfectly serviceable film. Inspired by The Shining, except this time it's on a Nazi boat. There are a few moments worth noting, but it's not quite up to snuff to make it on a list of better films of the year. Night of the Hunted. Jean Roland is quite the filmmaker. His films are filled with wonderful imagery and beautiful people. This time around, Night of the Hunted left a little bit more to be desired. It's not quite to the levels of his other films, such as Living Dead Girl or Grapes of Death. The Boogeyman. Uli Lamel didn't quite knock it out of the park with this one. The film is inept and strange, but tends to miss too many marks to even make nightmare logic work. It comes across more unintentionally funny than good. Macabre. Now, not a bad film at all, and honestly, for a debut film, it is pretty good. But the idea that Lamberto Bava's debut film doesn't make the honorable mention should be addressed. Overall, I enjoy the film. It has its moments, and a good lead performance brings it up a notch. But overall, the film's pacing holds it back a little. Contamination. Luigi Kazi, being inspired by Zombie, Alien, and James Bond, made this bizarre little film that opens up with a gore fest and demands your attention. But after the knockout opening, we have roughly 40 minutes of bad James Bond spy knockoff stuff until we hit a very fun climax. But the stuff in the middle just isn't as interesting as the bookends. The score by Goblin is great, Neil McCulloch is fun to watch, but it sort of ends right there. Before we get into the top 25, I would like to give some truly deserved honorable mentions. After watching 161 films, there are certainly more than 25 worth noting. Eaten Alive. One of three cannibal films Umberto Lenzi directed. This is his second and probably the weakest of the three. Although still a very solid entry in the genre and notable due to its blending of reality and fiction in a storyline, basically a redoing of Jonestown, Ivan Rassimo, Robert Kerman, and Mimi Lay all make notable and solid appearances, making this one a standout in the Italian cannibal subgenre, but just not a top-tier 1980 film. We are going to eat you. Joy Hart could make a movie much more different than Dangerous Encounters than We're Going to Eat You. The movie falls an island of bizarre zany cannibals who fight a bunch of people who end up trapped on the island. A lot of goofy fun humor ensues. Night of the Demon. Any movie that has someone having a nightmare in someone else's flashback probably shouldn't make any positive list. But here we are anyway. Night of the Demon is a bizarre one, involving a very angry Bigfoot who rips off dicks and swings guts around. The reveal towards the end of the film is quite the shocker. The film is quite the joyride of goofy nastiness. The Children. A school bus of children end up going through a toxic waste cloud and become black-veiled monsters who kill with a hug and a smile. The regional charm of the children goes a long way, as does the idea of being killed by your own toxic kids. Mother's Day. 
the second trauma film of the year followed by the children. We have a fairly popular film that follows a group of three girls from different walks of life who get together every year for an annual trip. This time around, the girls end up camping and being abducted by a family of psychos living nearby. The matriarch of the family controls her two half-wit sons who molest and murder their company to the backdrop of weird childish behavior that makes it all the weirder. The film really is pushed forward due to the relationships of the girls who fight their damnedest. Also look out for one of the best endings of the year. Fade to Black. How could I not give Fade to Black a mention? The film follows a film-obsessed fan who is tired of everyone treating him horribly. One day he snaps and begins to kill his aggressors, impersonating his favorite film characters. Dennis Christopher turns in a stellar performance as Eric Binford, who dons the roles of the Mummy, Dracula, Cody Jared, and many more. A scary look at mental illness and a good reminder to remember they are only movies. Altered States. Ken Russell gives us one of the strangest films of the year, where William Hurt searches to find a deeper meaning of life through a special drug in the deprivation tank. The outcome is weird de-evolution of insanity and mind-bending imagery. Well-directed and active, but not quite there to make it to my favorites. Night of Death. One of the more unique films about cannibalism and aging. A very well-thought-out thriller with a truly chilling concept behind it. Without warning, a great cast of B-movie actors have to deal with a giant trophy-hunting alien. Sound familiar? Obviously a precursor to Predator, we have the likes of Jack Palance, Martin Landau, Cameron Mitchell, Ralph Meeker, and Neville Brand in this super fun creature feature. Jack Palance plays a wonderful messenger of doom, almost up there with Crazy Ralph himself. Fair Train. The better of the New Year's Eve war films, this time we have Jamie Lee Curtis and her friends being picked off by a masked killer who dons several different outfits during a costume party among a train. The conductor is no other than wonderful character actor Ben Johnson, who sure knows how to make any movie better with his performances. The end reveal is pretty wild, and the whole concept and setup make it worth watching. Number 25. And now, he's coming for you. Grim Reaper. Anthropophagus. Prolific Joe D'Amato directed three genre films this year, including Erotic Nights of the Living Dead and Sex and Black Magic. But the film that introduces this list is none other than the infamous fetal munching classic, Anthropophagus, starring legendary actor and writer George Eastman. The film follows a group of tourists who make a stop on a Greek island, only to find out the inhabitants have been eaten by a monster cannibal in Eastman, who is not only still on the island, still hungry. Diamato, being a world-class DP, used the island's location to his advantage, and although the film's pace could be held against it, no one can deny that the film has an eerie atmosphere and a couple well-placed reveals, and two huge showstoppers that most likely got this one put on the video nasty list. Number 24. Encounters of the Spooky Kind. Next up is the first time Hong Kong graces our list. Filled with zany comedy and goofy ghosts, this one really set the bar for kung fu and horror mix. The slapstick nature and lead performance by Sammo Hung is sure to please fans of the Evil Dead sequels. Dr. Butcher, M.D., Medical Deviant. 
Zombie Holocaust. Going back to the land of Italy, we have another gut-munching classic. In 1980, nothing was more hot than zombies and cannibals, so why not mix the two? The result is a mismatch from hell. Bring back a couple stars from Zombie, reuse the location, and added a mad scientist played by character actor Donald O'Brien. What you have is a goofy, guilt-free cannibal movie, where the cannibals and zombies focus on human victims, not animals. Make sure to watch both versions, Dr. Butcher MD, and of course, Zombie Holocaust. Did they ever make blood sacrifices to this god? Oh yes, they did, and with human victims. Number 22. One after another, they check in and pray for the day they can check out. (laughs) Motel Hell. Coming October 31st from United Artists. Just in time for Halloween. Motel Hell. British director Kevin Connor tackles the Hicksploitation subgenre. Heavily inspired by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we have Rory Calhoun as Farmer Vincent, a farmer and meat smoker. A perfect film to watch in between Texas Chainsaw 1 and 2. About what else? That's right. Cannibalism. At times a bit dull, but when the movie comes to life, it's magic. From the one-liners to the deathbed confession. Not to mention, maybe even a little bit of eating roll thrown into the mix. We didn't even get a chance to warm up, you know. Oh, great. You're into bondage. <laughs> Come on in, we'll all get down. Thank you. You look good enough to eat. Oh, I hope so. Number 21. For too long, it has been locked away. Breathing. Eating. Watching. Waiting. Hello? Barbara Bach stars as three women move unknowingly to unlock a living nightmare. The Unseen lives. The Unseen. Danny Steinman asked to have his name removed off this nasty slasher. The Friday 13th Part 5 director would show promise with The Unseen, which follows the story of a group of female reporters who must stay at a small bed and breakfast ran by legendary character actor Sidney Lassick and his wife. The girls aren't the only inhabitants of the house, and we soon find out what lurks in the basement on scene. The acting from the family and reporters is solid to great, and a couple of the kills are truly unnerving. I don't know, Brian De Palma, the master of the macabre, who shocked audiences everywhere with Sisters, Carrie, Obsession, and The Fury, now invites you to a showing of the latest fashion in murder. (laughs) Dressed to Kill, Michael Caine, Angie Dickinson, Nancy Allen, Dressed to Kill, Murder, Made to Order by Brian De Palma. Dressed to Kill. A bit low on the list for many, I'm sure. But Brian De Palma shows why he is one of Hitchcock's best admirers, with probably one of the greatest opening 15 minutes of the year, followed by one of the greatest kills of the year. High-class prostitute Nancy Allen witnesses a brutal murder and is forced to try and figure out who the killer is before she becomes a victim. 
essentially a rehash of Psycho, but sleazed and styled up only the way Brian De Palma could do. souls one of the most brutal and devastating films of the year but what would one expect from the director of men behind the sun a group of mainland chinese people attempt to escape to hong kong only to be captured by a group of criminals who abuse torture and hold them for the highest bidder filled with an ungodly mean streak that only hong kong could manage the revenge is cathartic but quickly erased by the realization of the end 18 the beast Hong Kong again enters the list with a fairly straightforward rape revenge film that follows a group of young people who are attacked by a ruthless group of beasts and their invalid friend. The film takes from I Speed on Your Grave and Deliverance freely. The villains and the revenge take this one to the next level, and a downbeat ending really earns its place among the 1980 nihilistic films. the phone. Don't answer the phone. Nicholas Worth single-handedly takes this semi-slasher police procedural sleaze fest and elevates it to the next level. A radio psychiatrist is tormented by serial killer and rapist Kurt Smith, Worth, who leaves a pile of strangled prostitutes on his way to finally meet his doctor. 
the police aspects aren't nearly as strong and have an element of comedy that doesn't quite work. But the sleazy score that Occupy worth as he stalks the streets, kills, and siliquizes along with his performance are what makes this worthy of a spot on the list. Shut up! Dr. Gale! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Number 16. For all those who can hear my voice, look into the darkness across the water. Look for the fog. John Carpenter's The Fog. What in the living hell is out there? The Fog. One of John Carpenter's most beloved films. This classy ghost story is real thick with atmosphere and a great cast, including Jamie Lee Curtis, in one of three performances from this year. Janet Lee, Tom Atkins, the amazing Adrian Barbro, Hal Holbrick, Charles Cyphers, and of course, who else but Buck Flower. The plot is a nice one that incorporates a bicentennial revenge story from beyond the watery grave that is sure to leave any fan of ghost stories, Carpenter, or Tom Atkins satisfied. It's crazy there's no fog bank out there. What do you know about her? She owns that lighthouse. I know that. Her son plays Little League with my kid brother. She's a mother? <laughs> I thought you were happily married. <laughs> Not that happy. <laughs> Fog bank out there. Hey. There's a fog bank out there. 15. Many films will frighten you. But only a few can really terrify you. The Changeling, an experience beyond total fear. The Changeling, Canadian classic as well as one of the greatest ghost stories ever committed to film. George C. Scott is a widower who loses his family in a tragic accident and decides to run a large creepy house. Before long, he soon realizes the presence is there. At first, it's a bouncing red ball. Is it his family from beyond the grave? Scott could act his way through the phone book and his prowess is on full display here. Not only does he make this film quite the special one, but so does one of the most brilliant seances committed to film. A great script that brings justice from beyond the grave and world-class filmmaking to make this a truly classy ghost tale. Are you the child killed by the coal cart? No. Are you the child killed by the coal cart? No. 14. <laughs> Sorry, boys, I'm not on the menu after all. <laughs> Don't let it worry you. I think you will all meet again. <laughs> In hell! <laughs> hell of the Living Dead. Legendary ripoff artist Bruno Mateus shamelessly rips off Dawn of the Dead Zombie with this trash classic. A SWAT team dressed in the same blue jumpsuits as our heroes from Dawn traveled to the jungle to try and find the source of the zombie outbreak. Along the way, they are teamed up with a pair of reporters. Gory, silly, and riddled with nature footage, sometimes with animals that are geographically not correct. Hell of the Living Dead is mostly baffling from start to finish. Whether it's zombie rats attacking while fellow scientists just stare dumbfounded, or the real-life disease victims' footage they use. Hell of the Living Dead will leave you completely confused, but vastly entertained. Look out for the score, ripped from contamination, and of course, Dawn of the Dead. Doomed to horrible death. Doomed to be eaten up. First they'll kill you. Ah! 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 
13. Just when you thought the dead were buried, they're back in City of the Walking Dead. From 21st Street Distribution, rated R. Nightmare City. Umberto Lenzi tackles the infected zombie subgenre with this over-the-top violent action horror film. Yes, the monsters look like meatballs or leftovers from hell, but the film never slows down. The carnage is genuinely heart-pounding and the cast is fairly solid and led by Hugo Sticklitz. Make sure to stick around until the final climax in an amusement park overrun by monsters. Come on, you can do it. Just hang on. A little higher, come on. Twelve. Christmas Evil. The night he dropped in. Christmas Evil. One of the most bizarre Christmas films ever made. Harry, Brandon Maggard, witnesses his mother getting orally pleasured by his father in a Santa Claus suit as a child and grows up to be obsessed with the holiday. The closer it gets to Christmas, the more Harry becomes unhinged, studying neighborhood kids and even donning a fake beard and wig. Soon Harry will go too far to keep the holiday spirit alive. Christmas Evil may support the best what-the-fuck ending of the year and also a top-notch performance by our lead. Friday, the 13th. You may only see it once, but that will be enough. Friday, the 13th. Friday the 13th. What is a list from 1980 without the ultimate summer cap slasher? The one that really put forth the slasher craze in the 80s. Effects by Tom Savini. This time around, the killer isn't Jason, but soon it would be, and for a very long time. This franchise became the whipping boy for the MPAA and the critics, but nonetheless, Friday the 13th remains one of the most influential and popular slashers of all time. The first 20 minutes really captures a wonderful small town feel and leaves you feeling a tad sick at what happens to our first character after it introduces her quite well. Number 10. I do not know what price I shall have to pay for breaking what we alchemists call Silentium. The life experiences of our colleagues should warn us not to upset laymen by imposing our knowledge upon them. beginning there were three mothers the same as there were three fates and three furies inferno after dario Argento struck gold with his 1977 masterpiece Suspiria, it was only natural for the maestro to follow up his incredibly colored witch film with the sequel which carried on the story of the three mothers this time around we follow a brother and sister who get mixed up 
and trying to find a reason for some brutal murders and supernatural events that seem to be caused by certain locations. The score is as beautiful and nerve-wracking as the underwater cinematography done by the late great Mario Bava. The Lovecraftian aspect of the entire surrounding area being overtaken by madness as a lunar eclipse happens is brilliant. All light from the area disappears and soon enters the mother of darkness and insanity follows. You think it's magic? No. I'm not a magician. Now we have to hurry because we still have to pass through a number of strange phases and you'll change. You were looking for me, just like your sister. This is what you wanted. I'm coming to get you. Tell me who you are. The three mothers. Haven't you understood? Mater Tenebrarum. Mater Lacrimarum. Mater Susperiorum. But men call us by a single name. A name which strikes fear into everyone's heart. They call us! Number nine. It lives 50 feet beneath the streets. It's 36 feet long. It weighs over 2,000 pounds. It's killed five people already. And it's about to break out. Alligator. One of the best animal attacks films ever committed to celluloid. Of course, a cash in on Jaws. The script by John Sayles is much smarter and more clever than anyone would expect. When an alligator gets flushed down the Chicago sewer system, it is exposed to chemicals being used on animals in an experiment. This caused the abandoned reptilian to grow to out of control size. At first, the alligator starts with a lower class, but soon it's crashing weddings and taking dips in swimming pools. The cast is quite impressive, from Sidney Lassick, Henry Silva, and of course the star of the show, Robert Forrester, who is just as worried about his hairline as he is about the killer creature that stalks the streets. Who cut your hair, Madison? I do. We'll see why. I just see a hairstylist. You let your hair grow down and whip across. Nobody will be able to see it. Number eight. Humanoids from the deep. Humanoids from the Deep. The director, Barbara Peters, apparently wasn't a fan of a lot of nudity and sex in her films. So when she made this creature from the Lacoon-inspired Corman picture, she put a great storyline that tackled environmentalism and racism in a small coastal town at the forefront. Humanoids also sported a capable, intelligent lead female character. But after the completion of the film, Corman felt that it wouldn't quite sell, so what was added was graphic fishman rape scenes, gore, and nudity. These somehow mixed with the great social messages and strong female characters and made the entire thing kind of a mixture of exploitation and intelligent horror film. In a way, you sort of get the best of both worlds from 1980. Well, when the ingredients aren't in each other's throats. Vic Morrow is strong in the film as a classic awful bastard who still manages to do a couple things right. The opening attack on the fishing boat still sits as one of the scariest scenes of the year. 
Number seven. Maniac. It will tear the life out of you. Maniac. Joe Spinell is a powerhouse in this film. Maniac follows the story of Frank Zito, a classic serial killer trope brought to life. A mama's boy who is abused and goes out at night and kills women. Often hated in its heyday, Maniac has since become a beloved horror classic. Inspired by Psycho, of course, but with a gritty, nasty New York setting that only William Lustig could seem to do. From the opening murder to the final shots of the opening eyes, Maniac keeps you captivated. The one shot I keep coming back to to sum up Zito's mental state is the one where he loads up his killing implements. We see a shotgun being set down, and then a hand quickly grab a handful of Cracker Jack. Polly want a cracker? When a director like Kubrick decides to adapt your novel, it's a pretty amazing thing. Although Stephen King never cared for the film, it doesn't change the fact that The Shining is single-handedly one of the best-made horror films of all time. To the camera work and set designs, to the unhinged performances from Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, there is a reason that people discuss this film for hours, coming up with millions of takes on the Overlook Hotel and what Kubrick was trying to say. Kubrick left many things unanswered, some of which you only get a glimpse at. Some of those, a glimpse is almost too much. Number five. Cruising. Cruising. A film that gets better and more interesting with every view. William Freakin's police procedural giallo style nightmare falls an undercover cop as he enters the gay leather community to try and stop a sadistic killer. From the opening frames, everything is realized. After the shots of the water, we go to the dark, pretty streets littered with all sorts of people looking for something special. The cast alone makes this one something amazing, from the stars Al Pacino, Karen Allen, and Paul Servino, to the supporting James Remar, Ed O'Neill, and the legendary Joe Spinell, playing an even scarier character than he did in Maniac. Cruising might seem a bit like a confusing yet straightforward film on first look, but under closer examination, we see that there may be a supernatural bent to it. Different killers, all with the same voice. The idea that maybe the hatred is passing to people through their upbringing, through their fathers. You've made me do that. She ain't gonna make a fool out of me. Takes the kids and goes to Florida to see his sister. Leaves me a note. Ten years. They're all scumbags. What? They're all scumbags. Who? All of them. 
You're better off. Just drive the car, huh? You'll be driving this car the rest of your life. What do you know? You don't know nothing. Number four. John Saxon in Invasion of the Flesh Hunters. Their next meal may be you. Cannibal Apocalypse. John Saxon starred in three horror films from 1980, but the other two in Blood Beach and Beyond, Evil, didn't quite hit the, like this one. Vietnam vet Norman Hooper is cursed with a disease he contracted while trying to help two of his hometown buddies who have become POWs. The idea of somehow seemingly getting a mental defect and turning to cannibalism for survival doesn't seem like it should be able to manifest itself into something contagious. But that idea is prevalent here in almost a Crow-Bernigan way. Another super interesting idea is that vets from Vietnam were forgotten about and hated upon returning home. Their ailments, mental, physical, psychological, seemingly weren't taken very seriously. But here, similar to Death Dream, 1974, the populace must face them. The stain of mistreatment of the vets has turned into an all-out contagion. It's being led by a group of Vietnam vets that have nothing to lose. From the score to the gore, Cannibal Apocalypse manages to please. The action, of course, is top-notch, being done by Margariti, who directed three more Vietnam films alone. But the real driving force is the performances by our three leads. Tony King, the wonderful Giovanni Lamberto Medici, and of course, stone-faced John Saxon, who manages to bring some real levity to the film, from his entrance to his downbeat departure. City of the Living Dead, also known as the Gates of Hell. Part Poe, part Lovecraft, part supernatural Catholicism, and all Fulci. Lucio Fulci opens one of the gateways to hell with this wild gore fest, featuring two of the biggest showstoppers in his career. From puking guts to drills through the face, one would be hard-pressed to find a more violent death. Besides the previous mentioned elements, what really works about City is that we are tossed into an entire town that is being overtaken by an evil presence. The streets are encompassed by fog and atmosphere. Not dissimilar to how the inhabitants of this town's minds are encompassed by superstitious beliefs that seem to eventually put an end to them. Fulci was no stranger to that line of thinking, and his condemnation of superstition is used brilliant here, as well as his use of Lovecraftian horror and some Poe tropes. Dardano Sacchetti should also be praised, as his script is filled with amazing nightmare logic. Special effects artist Giannetti De Rossi also is in top form here, as is the composer. Fabio Frizzi, fresh off his zombie score, creating another iconic one. Guess what? It's All Saints Day. A demanding, implacable enemy. Whose search for blood is never satiated. 
number two. on the edge of the park. David Hess fills the shoes of another sadistic monster in this home invasion rape revenge picture by legendary director Ruggiero Diodato. Along with Hess, we have Giovanni Lamberto Vidici, who managed to make the top five three times, which is quite impressive and well-deserved. The film follows Hess, who decides to invite himself to a party filled with rich people. He brings along his slow friend Ricky and Radici. At first, the rich people begin to take advantage of Ricky, but before long, Hess turns the tables, and as the difference between social classes being played with, soon rape and sadism are also explored. Hess and Radici give tremendous performances, and Hess even manages to bring a sense of humanity to his role as a monster. The relationship he has with Ricky is as important as anything in the film, and he justifies his awful actions. You can't help but notice the love in his voice for his fallen friend. The music in the film, from the disco dance to the lovely melodies, is one of the most powerful and memorable of the year. Riz Ortolani shows us again and again why he may be the best composer in Italy. The idea to show us the worst imagery and scenes on earth and put the beautiful score from Ortolani in the background to provoke initiated response is something Diodata was king at. Speaking of placing a beautiful score to some of the most disturbing imagery of all time, this one is a poster child for such a thing. The one that changed it all. The most controversial film ever. The whipping boy of the video nasty list. The one, the only, Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust follows the story of a professor who wants to try and find a missing group of documentarians who disappeared from the Green Inferno, making a documentary about local tribes. The structure is quite brilliant as we are introduced to the film crew by their friends, colleagues, and family. They're set up to not quite the best people, letting us know that their outcome probably wasn't very good. In the first half, we are exposed to real-life animal killings, brutal sexual rituals, cannibalism, murder, and sadism. But it won't prepare you quite for the second half after the missing footage is recovered. Basically creating the found footage subgenre, Cannibal Holocaust lives up to its name and its title. At first, the title sounds almost silly, as if it's a take on a metal band that's trying too hard. But after experience is over, it's the only name the film could be given. Banned, censored, and reviled all over the world, this film sent the director to jail. Good old Ruggiero Diodato, a man who made this film after watching Mondo films and his kids watching the violent television news. He wanted reality, and the second half of Cannibal Holocaust captures that reality all too well. One scene that sums up everything this movie needs to say is a scene with Alan and his film crew, impressed with what they sewed as he watches how a tribe punishes the woman him and his film crew raped moments earlier. Movie that tells the audience its message outright. You have to hit them over the head to get your message across. They do that here. But they also condemn themselves by their actions. 
It's a rabbit hole of confusion and brilliance. It's a disgusting yet endlessly discussable film. It's film history. It's an abomination. It's the one that went all the way. Diodato seemingly became part of the sadism while making the film, pushing the crew and film further and further until everything was the green inferno. Unforgivable, condemnable, unforgettable. The best movie of 1980. Lord, it's it's unbelievable. It's it's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound respect these primitives have for virginity. Before we get into the awards, let's name a few movies you can avoid at all cost. First up is Mama Dracula. Hands down, the worst film of the 161 films watched. It's completely inept on funny and boring. Not one time did I smile or think anything was clever. Please avoid like the plague. Not even Louise Fletcher can breathe life into this. Monstroid. Completely bonkers and shoddy creature feature that doesn't need to be viewed when you have stuff like humanoids from the deep and alligator from the same year. Cannibal Tear. Have you ever wanted to see natives with a mustache and mutton chop sideburns? No? Then think so. Avoid Cannibal Tear. The worst of the jungle cannibal films. It truly feels like not one person cared about this. Trauma. Hands down the worst Italian film of the year. At first there is some promise shown, but quickly after that, the entire film seems to fall apart. Doesn't feel complete, from the lack of effects to the no ending. Rana, The Legend of Shadow Lake. I dare anyone to recall anything from this film. Bill Rabane has made a handful of low-budget films, and not everything is watchable, but a few end up being pretty interesting. Rana is not one of those. It's a dull monster in a lake story without much going on. I'd tell you to watch Monster instead, but this one might be better. Avoid both. Awards. Best special effects slash gore. City of the Living Dead. Any film that manages to top a girl puking out her own guts with an amazing drill press kill and convincingly deserves to be mentioned. Cannibal Holocaust. The realism and filmmaking techniques really played a part in the special effects being so effective. Also, the fact that some of the things you are seeing aren't effects. But nonetheless, the realism on display towards the end of the film is the stuff of reality and nightmares. Maniac. Any film that has Tom Savini blowing off his own head in amazingly gory detail deserves to grace the score list. Friday 13th. Again, Savini added again with some slasher kills. Although the 4K master of this doesn't allow all the seams to stay hidden, the effects still hold up. Alligator. Did anyone order one giant animatronic fully functional alligator? Oh, you did, Chicago? Well, here you go. This behemoth looks top-notch throughout, whether it's the real deal or the carnivorous stand-in. Best kill of the year. Giovanni Lamberto Medici, twice here. Of course, City of the Living Dead, after the drill press, but also the amazing camera trick done in Cannibal Apocalypse, where you see through his guts. Anthropophagus, like a repulsive gorilla cricket, George Eastman manages to eat his own guts before death. Also, emphasize take place, yummy. Sabini again for Maniac, head explosion. See prize for best special effects. And Dress to Kill, the amazingly well-edited and choreographed elevator kill. Best villain of the year, George Eastman for Anthropophagus. Truly towering, violent, and scary. Nicholas Worth for Don't Answer the Phone. Manages to take a TNA slasher and turn it into a psychological cat and mouse sleaze fest. Betsy Palmer for Friday 13th. His name was Jason. Need I say more? Father Thomas from City of the Living Dead. 
Nothing quite like a quiet priest causing you to lose your lunch and raise an army of the dead. Cruzen, the mysterious ever-changing killer in his horrifying voice. There's something truly haunting about the killers from Cruzen, the voice of the fathers or the voice of just one killer. Who knows? Farmer Vincent, Rory Calhoun, charming, down-to-earth, good-natured, and a hell of a chef. And not to mention a people-farming, butchering madman. I... I... used... Best cinematography, Inferno. When the Italians had a crew and the means, it was really hard to catch up to anything they could do with their camera work, especially Mario Baba had a hand in it. Cannibal Holocaust, it's not just the structure that makes the movies realism. It's how the two cameras are used. It's the stuff of legend. The Shining, there isn't a misplaced frame in this film. Each frame a work of art. The Fog, thick with atmosphere and of course fog. It's a nice surprise that this one still looks as good as it does. Dressed to Kill. The opening act of this film is shot in such a beautiful way, taken into consideration that a lot is said in the film about the characters, but even more is told by the camera. Best script. The Changeling. Cannibal Holocaust. Alligator. And Dangerous Encounters of the First Kind. Best directed film. The Shining, Cannibal Holocaust, The Changeling, Cruising. Best score slash soundtrack of the year. There's a two for here. And the true standout composer of the year is Ortolani. From his beautiful and savage Cannibal Holocaust score to his disco and sweet melodic House on the Edge of the Park score. Riz Ortolani proves why he might be the best of all time. State of the Living Dead. Fabio Frizzi's score truly brings a sense of doom and foreboding energy. Great for Lovecraftian faulty story. Inferno. Keith Emerson brings Inferno to life. It's a hard act to follow with Goblin from Suspiria, but Emerson sure gives it a try. Friday 13th. Harry Manfredini. Incorporating some lines whispered by our killer, one would be hard pressed to find a more known score from this year. Best Supporting Actor slash yes. Actress, uh, Sidney Lassick, The Unseen. The speech the given to himself without Thank a classic you. flashback is the stuff of character uh, actor uh, bliss. Paul Servino, cruising, looking overworked and depressed, like he gives an honest and great performance. little guys who don't know why they have to do what they do. It isn't their fault, it isn't your fault, it's the job. I can't do the job. Ben Johnson, Terror Train. Ben Johnson once robbed the train and said goodbye to the Old West. This time around, he plays a conductor and talks of trains on their way out. Johnson's demeanor used so often as a good-natured cowboy still works here wonderfully as he places some bits of wisdom in his colloquialisms. I saw anybody so dead as that. I got to sit down, Charlie, for a minute. Jack Palance, without warning. If you thought crazy Ralph didn't warn them enough, check out Mr. Palance as he fights an alien.
You've never been hunting, have you? No. I don't plan to either. Oh, it's a good sport. As long as you follow the rules. Yeah, well, I don't see it as a sport. I don't think I could ever kill an animal. Well, it depends on the animal and who's doing the hunting. <laughs> Besides, I never kill for the sport. I eat what I kill. Vic Morrow, humanoids from the deep, playing a scumbag who has such a good redeeming character moment, you almost forget how bad he was. Hey, you doing, boys? You listen to me. We got ourselves a problem. The buck's got to stop right here now. Johnny Eagle means business. You know where Zola's his place right now? A bunch of those Indians from the reservation. You know what he's doing? He's talking them into final lawsuit against us in connection with the canneries. Best actress of the year, Shelley Duvall, The Shining. The tension in the film is written all over her face throughout. Had, uh, been drinking, and he came home about three hours late. So he wasn't exactly in the greatest mood that night. And, well, Danny had scattered some of his school papers all over the room, and my husband grabbed his arm, you know, to pull him away from him. Carrie Snodgrass, The Attic. A performance that demands sympathy and fear equally. Suddenly, I felt this anger creeping up from the tip of my toes to the top of my head. Surrounded by all those books that I'd fingered a hundred times before. They all seemed to have eyes staring at me, watching me, following me all around. Lin Chi Chi, Dangerous Encounters of the First Kind. The strongest of a few roles this year done by Chen Chi. Her role is a powerful one. The demeanor of this character shows us everything that can go violently dangerous with youth and manipulative behavior. Nancy Allen, dressed to kill. Endlessly likable as well as intelligent well. and ambitious. A truly great performance. What do you think? I think you're a very attractive woman. Would you like to touch me? Uh, yes and no. Yes, because I'm... Well, why don't you? I told you why. Oh, that's right. You're a married doctor. I remember now. Jamie Lee Curtis, Tear Train, The Fog, and Prom Night. (laughs) 
Not only did the Scream Queen do three roles this year, she turned in the best dance moves. Well, maybe. Then again, there is Rick. <laughs> Best Actor of the Year, David Hess, a war vet, mechanic, charming, murdering, psychopathic rapist. Who else could it be? Of course, it's Hess. He's wonderful at bringing humanity and charisma to even the most disgusting human beings. And she'll turn her back on you. She'll make shit out of you. Him and Giovanni Lamberto Redici shine together. And this is, of course, for House on the Edge of the Park. Giovanni Redici, of course, as his role as Ricky and his dancing but also his roles in City of the Living Dead, but more importantly, his role in Cannibal Apocalypse. Although he doesn't quite beat his role in House on the Edge of the Park, he does bring a sense of sadness and vulnerability to his portrayal of Charles Bukowski. John Saxon. Of course, Mr. Saxon worked on three films this year, including Beyond Evil, which has a decent role for Saxon, and Blood Beach, again, nothing special. But he does truly shine as a mentally wounded Vietnam vet struggling with a flesh-eating disease. I phoned you. Why didn't you want to see me? I'm here now, aren't I? You think I'm stupid. I know you're in cahoots with those shit faces out there. You know what your problem is, Charlie? You're a fuck up. You always have been one and I've always had to come bail you out. Where's Tommy? Where do you think he is? We're gonna bail him out too. Then what? And then we're gonna stick together just like in the old days. Bullshit! Where have you been? All the time me and Tom were closed up in that lousy hospital. Where the fuck were you, man? Jack Nicholson, one of the greatest actors of all time, shows us why he can play on Hinge better than anyone else around. What's more gonna do you now? Stay away from me. Please. Don't hurt me. I'm not gonna hurt you. Stay away from me. Wendy. Stay away. Darling, light of my life gonna hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains in. I'm gonna bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> George C. Scott. He could read the phone book and win an no. Oscar. Almost every delivery in the Changeling is interesting due to Scott's amazing chops. No. Of course, Joe Spinell. Landing five roles in 1980. It's no wonder why Spinell makes the list. But the real standouts are, of course, Cruzen, where he plays a truly terrifying character, Fancy even more so than the one he plays in his starring role, Maniac. Frank Zito is the best 1980s Norman Bates you could get. Although he isn't handsome, he does have the charm, mental anguish, and sympathy that Norman has. For a change of pace, watch Spinell bring the jokes in Forbidden Zone to the ninth configuration. But you do, don't you? And they can't laugh and they can't dance anymore. So you got to stop. Stacey Keach, the ninth configuration. Twinkle, twinkle, killer cane. What can one say about Keach? No time. Such a powerful and devastating performance. The reveal is stuff of legend. But I'll show you. I'll show you God exists. Dennis Christopher, Fade to Black. Almost a little too close for comfort. It's amazing. You look exactly like Matt. We know, we know. Everybody says that. What was the name of the movie that Tom Yule took you to see in Seven Year Itch? Who the hell cares? It was a creature from the Black Lagoon. Hey, how did you know that? It's great. I go to a lot of movies. It's my thing. 
Brandon Maggard, Christmas Evil. Another sympathetic and unnervingly done role for the year. Somehow the end of the film doesn't seem so off due to the magic that Maggard seems to really believe. Someone to guide them, someone to take responsibility so they don't have to make those decisions themselves. In 1980, we have one of the most memorable important years in horror due to the wide variety of choices, the process of transition, debuts, and goodbyes. As the 80s continued, a lot of these subgenres would die down and the quality of work from certain countries would fall a decline. But for the time, 1980 put on a great group of films by some of the most talented people in the world. Although moralities were often at times forgotten, their films left a heavy impact, often at times reminding us of the stain of Vietnam and civil unrest of the 70s, and that it was still under the surface of society. But at the same time, other films were preparing us for the fantastical mid-80s and the slasher boom that would soon take over for the next couple years. Special thanks, Art Ediger, Troy Howarth, Duncan McLeish, James L. Edwards, Dave Z, and Bruce Holchak. Dedicated to the memory of Alfred Hitchcock, John Saxton, Joe Spinell, Ruggiero Diodato, David Hess, Giovanni Lamberto Medici, Nicholas Wirth, Joe Diamato, Humberto Lenzi, Lucio Fulci, and of course, Mario Bava. For the curious viewer, a complete list of the films I watched for 1980 in order, with the ratings. Mr. Andrews, there is no file. Does anybody have to get out of this shithole alive? All right, that's it. Come on. Stay. The deep end is always with you. All you have to do is fall. Don't you know they are all believers in ghosts, specters, spooks, and the crawling, clawing hideosities that fly about at night? Yeah, pretty silly, isn't it? It's plain that you don't believe in such things. As plain as the nose on your face. 
Midnight Kill, a world premiere. He's having a heart attack. No, he's not. It's kill and be killed in a marathon of mayhem, but who is murdering the murderers? Jacqueline Smith, Mike Connors, James Franciscus, and Robert Mitchum. Night Kill, at the games people play Thursday. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world.
from a long time ago. 